to the van life. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Frankie. And I'm Alex. And together, we are FNA Van Life. We are coming at you today with a friend of ours that we've known for a couple of years now since we started doing our YouTube channel. He found us, and we connected while we were building in Florida. We're really excited to chat with Steven, but first, we've got an update from the road. And actually, before the update from the road, I do want to say that this conversation with Steven is going to get quite technical, and you're going to learn a lot about uh, how to you know, possibly strip back and get everything to work 12 volt or 24 volt instead of having to use a 120 inverter. But yeah, let's get let's get on the road, babe. Okay, so right now we are in Guatemala officially. We've crossed the border and that was a little bit of an ordeal, but not anything too crazy. And now we are chilling at like Atitlan, which is absolutely stunning. And we can't wait to show you guys all the pictures and videos from here because holy my gosh. It is magical. It's probably one of the most beautiful places Alex and I have ever been to in our lives. And I think it's just one of those places that's like an energy vortex. It just kind of pulls you in and wants to keep you here in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. And the campsite that we're at right now is only $10 a day. So I think we're probably going to let ourselves get sucked in for a little while. Yeah, yeah. But where we're at in YouTube is a little bit different of a world. We're still in Mexico. We're in Guanajuato. And we just shared uh, being at an RV park there. And it was a really amazing RV park that we got to stay at. The ride there is a little difficult. So make sure to watch that video if you're going to explore Guanajuato and you want to make it to this awesome RV park. Yeah. And then we also went on an amazing food tour. We took ourselves to the streets of Guanajuato, which are so beautiful and intricate. And there's over 3,000 different alleyways, which is super cool. And a lot of them have different street vendors and different kind of foods that you can get. And the Sebadina that we got there, we're like still dreaming about and you yeah. can't find it anywhere else except Guanajuato. Or Leon. Leon is the uh, other spot. Yes. And we do talk about that in the video. But uh, I will say that the twist about the street food tour is that we find everything vegetarian and or vegan. So it makes it, you know, a, a little bit more subjected to people that you know, are looking for that type of food and don't think that they could get it in Mexico. Or from a street cart, because I feel like that's always a little bit tricky when you're ordering food in a foreign country and you have either, like, dietary restrictions or preferences that you're trying to, like, communicate. Somebody actually just commented on our YouTube channel the other day, like, do you think I could go down there? I'm, like, super allergic to garlic and onions and peppers, like, bell peppers of any kind. Mm. And I was like, wow, like, that's going to be tricky. You're going to have to, like, learn all of the words for that in Spanish and you're going to have to learn how to like really articulate your food choices or like mm -hmm. your food needs. And like how bad the allergy is too on top of that. Yeah, because I think a lot of times when there is a little bit of miscommunication, people just say yes. You know, oh yeah, 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 don't worry. But like, so if you want something, you really have to be able to communicate what you want, especially when it's an allergy like that. Yeah, for me, I'm allergic to mango, which is something that is very much around in Mexico. Like, you could find it almost anywhere in Mexico. And, you know, it's like a treat. It's a dessert. It's it's in food. So I have to make sure to always ask and remember to say, hey, like, sin mango. There's no mango, see? And sure enough, they tell me that there's not, and I know that I could eat it. Yeah, but you're lucky because, like, that's not going to show up in, like, a savory dish. No. Like, you're not going to order, like, a Frio or, like, a Friol taco and there'd be mango in it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, not normally, But there probably would be garlic and onion. Yes. So I feel like garlic and onion is, like, 
hard because it's in like everything. everything yeah yeah but anyways we're really excited to get into this talk we're gonna call it like nerding out with steven we'll probably have him on another time if you guys like this episode be sure to let us know and we will nerd out with steven all the time this is a super organic conversation with steven so we're gonna jump right in and when we jump right in it's just like in the middle of a sentence <laughs> let's go for it so when it comes to like the height of the van in like Guatemala and Mexico, um, there are definitely roads that you sh- you're not going to want to go down. Like we went to this RV park or the RV park. That's saying something. It was more like a <laughs> somebody's yard. parking lot, you know, or somebody's yard mm-hmm. that you pull into. But there's a very old like walking bridge that like is from like early 1900s that was built out of like stone there, and mm-hmm. they have like a low clearance like metal bars before it and it's a one-way and it was super narrow so like once you're on that road you can't get out there was a sign that said like no big trucks and so but it didn't have a height limit it just said no big trucks and i'm like i don't think we're a big yeah we're not a big truck (laughs) no so we start making our way down and then i see 2.75 meters and i'm like dang that's close that's like pushing yeah it's basically yeah it's basically just under nine feet we try to do like three meters like three meters uh, is like is safe. On, you know see. you're like okay yeah, we can definitely make three and it's a little over three feet three feet per meter yeah about yeah yeah so it's like yeah. a triple so it's yeah so like we normally go by three meters if it's three meters we can make it no problem mm-hmm. we could probably make it under 2.8 and we just found that out by going underneath it. Well, because then you could hear it like, like our max tracks that are strapped to the boards. Because they're oh, like, God. I don't know, not serrated, but like they're bumpy. Yeah. So you could yeah. hear them bumping on the metal. And it wasn't on the bridge. It was just on the thing before it. And it's because it was like contoured, you know, on like a, like a loop, you know, like it was like kind of mm-hmm. cylinder like, you know. And yeah. so the fact that it was kind of contorting down the sides just like rubbed it and we may, I mean the bridge itself was definitely like three meters but yeah. they don't want even to risk it so they put that yeah. thing lower so, but yeah so we, yeah. we rubbed that and uh then we went into the rv park that was like you know kind of questionable in the sense of like even getting in there like if you had a if you had an actual big rig like you wouldn't have fit just because the turn mm-hmm. was so big. Turn, yeah. Yeah. So luckily I was able to adjust it from where I think 21 and a half feet with the um, 3,500 extended. So yeah. we were able to just creep around the turn just enough. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the, the shining points of that ProMaster, you know, is the fact that that turning radius, it's, it's unparalleled. I mean, you can get that thing around. You got, you got to do the palm turns, you know, to really get mm-hmm. it to go, you know, but yeah, that's, just, that's where it shines for sure. <laughs> for sure for sure i would say that it definitely has a better turn radius than like our old sprinter for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i've been liking the ProMaster. the only issue i have with it it is not good in like like wet situations let's just put it soft that soft like grass even like it just wants to dig in um really gotta like ease into it or gun it it's like one or the other you know yeah. what I mean? It's like once you get the wheels going, you gotta kind of go. But if you if you gun it too fast, you'll just dig. And you really think that that's the difference between a front wheel drive and a real wheel drive? You think the oh, yeah. rear wheel would do better? Yeah, 
Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. we never had any issues with the sprinter. And we did like all the mountains that first season. And like, I mean, it was an old van and she like had some power, you know, but yeah. she would, you know, just chug and like we could get out of anything and it wasn't a problem. And then like, with the ProMaster, we've been stuck a couple times, you know, just mm-hmm. like the, the mud was too muddy. Or the sand was too sandy. Well, the rocks were just a little too low. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's always, it's, it's always something with this one, I feel like. Yeah, that's been a concern of mine. I've been keeping a watchful eye for the adventurous people to see if there's anything I can do to kind of supplement my build out to make it a little bit better. And I'm surprised I haven't seen anybody install a tow hitch or a, a winch in the front of the ProMaster yet. So I looked into that before we came down to Central America because I was like, we should probably have like some better recovery gear. Um, And so basically, because there's no tow hitch on either side of this vehicle. So Mm -hmm. you have to like replace your bumper, basically. Um, I don't know. Does Owl Vans have like a full new grill for the ProMaster? Do you know? No, Um, I don't know. The Mm -hmm. only thing that I saw was like, you basically like take the front plastic paneling off and then you can buy like a full metal welded, like new bumper basically that has mm-hmm. the tow hitch in it. And then you would have to buy a tow hitch mount for a wench. And then you would put the wench on the hitch. So it would mm-hmm. be like, it would probably add like another two feet to the front of your vehicle or maybe one, I don't know, like definitely some inches just to have that basket there to then put the wench on it and then it's I'm like s- well somebody just gonna steal the wench off the front of the vehicle <laughs> well it's possible depending i've seen some creative stuff where they have a, a hitch that's built just for receiver hitches mm-hmm. so you know just a square tube and so that way you deploy the, the winch when you need it and if you have yeah. a receiver hitch in the front and the back it gives you more you know pulling options if you need yeah. you know depending on where you need to get unstuck well, so that I'm might like- be a good option respectively too like one thing i didn't realize that like in on the beach you could dig a hole drop your tire in the hole you know get the winch onto it and then bury it and then use the wet the tire technically to pull you out what do you mean like your spare tire yeah your spare tire okay and you and you dug a hole right and then you put the tire in the hole i mean it got to be like significantly deep it got to be like at least probably three feet deep. like you're anchoring this yeah tire. and then you, you put the wench onto that and then you bury it right mm. and then mm. you'd be able to pull yourself out yeah because of the the mass that like the that would grab the sand yeah from the tire like once it starts to pull it will grab and then you'll have you know the ability to kind of pull your rig out i'm just God, yeah tire flying out of the sand yeah and like slamming through the windshield or something i mean they've they've got recovery systems where it's almost like an anchor you know where you actually bury it in in the the mud or whatever and just use that as an anchor point so yeah i could see that working that's a lot of work to dig that hole though well but if it's your only option yeah i mean like when we were in that situation with the ocean yeah I would I would have dug a fucking hole yeah. to get that tire in that thing, <laughs> and I would have pulled myself out slowly one spot at a time. I yeah. would have dug a hole and pulled, dug a hole and pulled. You know, yeah, but no I, doubt. I think when you're in a situation like that, it's almost like you're you're determined to do whatever you need to get your house and your rig yes. out of the situation. You know. Yeah. Yep, ex- exactly. I'm I'm kind of curious how many people you've saved all this trouble by you yourself going through all this drama. There, you you know, had I, to have saved so many people. 
I wonder. I, that would be a really good poll, I feel like. Like, yeah. who did we actually help with this information, you know? Who did we stop from camping in this incredibly stupid place? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I And that's, like, the biggest reason to what we do is so that we help people, you know, hopefully learn from our mistakes or, you know, they might see something and be like, oh, like, I, I know what to do in that situation now. You know, like, even if it's just driving up a road, you know, or making a really freaking tight turn to get to an RV park, you know, like, yeah, I mean, you know, really like, that, that adventurous, uh, attitude and approach to things, even though it gets you in sticky situations, it still makes for great content. You know, it just right. kind of, it writes itself. <laughs> so Steven, why don't you tell us a little bit about your rig and what you're doing? And we came and saw you in Florida. how long ago was that I, now? I, I, that was over, over a year ago. Year you just, ago yeah. Yeah, you guys had just come down to start your second build that you're sitting yeah. in right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you helped us out with some really crucial build supplies and tank cranking under here. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was still super nervous whenever I saw that that tank you thought might have been a problem. Oh, and I, I know. Like, oh, no. That was the tank yeah, I gave in them. Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then I will say that that tank has been amazing. And then also you helped us out with a tip that you uh, saw from a friend, I think, um, using the Wii pole as the, um, like to, to have the shore power go out and using the the spot from the reflector to put mm. the shore power plug into that. That was clutch. I've showed so many people that and I'm like, yo, this guy, Steve, Steven taught us this. <laughs> like it was so clutch. Yeah. I actually ended up using the other side. Now that's where my Starlink port is. So now I don't have any reflectors in the back. <laughs> <laughs> We have we glued the uh, reflector, old back, reflector to back to it. Yeah, I mean, you don't know. Like, I've started to understand that, like in the UK, like their camper van requirements are really stringent. Uh, like, oh, yeah. I had no idea. So, like, I can imagine getting a fine for removing, you know, something that simple. It's yeah, wild. I think the, the rule is that you can't modify anything that was factory. So, like, uh, we did this ridiculous headliner project where we, like, cut the t front of the headliner out and made it, like, we gave ourselves some extra inches, and that's been very handy. But, like, to make it see-through and, like, pretty was stupid. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so if we tried to ship this vehicle to the UK, it wouldn't pass inspection because of wow. the headliner. So we would almost have to, like, rip the whole headliner out and buy a whole new headliner piece to, like, make it, it back, back to factory standards. I was just going to say, we didn't find that out until we put the video up and then a bunch of people from the UK commented that like... You can't do that there. Hmm. I wonder if it would be different for someone that is a non-resident just traveling. Surely that wouldn't apply. You would think. I mean, but if they have like a full inspection, I don't know. I think we would have to ask somebody from the UK or somebody who's done that before. But, yeah. you know, uh, I, I think that if it is a rig that was built there, for sure, you would. it would be yeah, not... Yeah. Like, you definitely get yeah. fun. Yeah. So, so what got, uh, yeah, what got you into the lifestyle? Like what, where are you from? What's give us all the deets, man. Yeah, man. So uh, I'm originally from Tennessee, so I'm accustomed to, you know, mountains, at least hills by comparison, depending on how far west you go. And uh, moved down to Florida in 2004 and have been down here ever since. So I've always been like an outdoorsy person, you know, very young age, like, you know, mountain climbing, rappelling, you know, caving, stuff like that. Like I love the outdoors and then coming down here. 
I, I, for various reasons, have been kind of stuck and haven't been able to go out and adventure as much. And, you know, Florida's pretty flat. So the things that I love don't really exist here. I think I haven't been to the beach for fun in probably six or seven years, at least. Like after, after a certain amount of time, like the beach is just the beach. It, it's nothing for me. So uh, I bought my Ram ProMaster 2020 ProMaster during the pandemic. I was like, YOLO, you know, if, if this is going to keep going, you know, might as well just go ahead and just, you know, take my shot and see how it goes. Because uh, I had obsessively, you know, planned and and watched YouTube videos and stuff for probably about three years prior uh, to try and figure out what I wanted to build. Um, and, you know, at that point, I was like, you know what, let's just go ahead and do this. Because I wanted to build an adventure rig. It was going to enable me to get out and do the things that I wanted to be able to do and not have such a time crunch or have to fly everywhere. You know, um, and so started building it in July of 2020, and it, it's technically still not done. You know, uh, uh, is it I, ever? Think, I think, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think it really is true that your build is never done. Now, it's little bitty things that need to be done, nothing major, but you know, I think it's infinitely going to be tweaked. So, you know, I'll just say it's never. It's never done, but you know, I took it as an opportunity to also nerd out and stuff. So like I tracked like everything about it, you know, every single nut and bolt, how much it cost me, all the hours I spent on it. So at this point in time, I've put in about 575 hours and yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed of the sticker uh, on all of that because, you know, I was having a lot of fun with this. You know, it's a good, good opportunity to learn a lot. You know, I know about electrical. I know about plumbing now. I know about cabinetry, you know, and, and prior to that, I was a hobbyist woodworker. You know, I build, you know, coffee tables and, you know, bowls and, you know, work with stained glass. I've taken blacksmithing classes. Like I, I like to build and do things with my hands. So this was like a project where I can bring all of that in and try and leverage it and, and learn a lot of stuff along the way. So the interesting thing is, is that now that it's done, I thought I was going to like, you know, and I just got my Starlink. Well, I've had Starlink for a few months now. I really thought it was going to be my opportunity to really hit the road and just kind of not look back to some extent. But I'm finding that the East Coast is very challenging whenever it comes to the van van life or even just uh, leveraging that uh, for, for vacations and whatnot. Just there is no BLM land. You know, if you want to stay anywhere, you're either boondocking or you're getting a, a campsite. So that that's money. And then that's planning. Like I, I really felt like the whole van option was going to make it to where I was freer to be more random and plan less. It's been absolutely the opposite on the East coast. You have to plan more, which was a bit of a disappointment. So I'm finding that, you know, now that we're, you know, two years past the build and everything that, it, it hasn't really manifested the way I had hoped, uh, but I'm I'm still making the best of it to try and get out as much as possible. But you know, uh, it is what it is. But it, it's been fantastic. So you said that you have to do more planning because of the aspect of like boondocking when it comes to like internet on the road with the Starlink. How has that performed for you? It's been really good. And I was going to make a recommendation or um, I was going to point out something. So I noticed that with your Starlink satellite, you mounted it to the roof. And I understand why you did that. But one of the things that I'm realizing is, is obviously that works best with clear line of sight. So if you want to be able to leverage that, you're going to make sure have to make sure that you park in an area that has that clear sky. 
you know, otherwise, you know, you'd be able to leverage that cable. You could park where it's perfect for the parking and then bring the dish out to where, you know, you get the best reception. Yeah. And I think what we've noticed too, uh, down here, since we're so far South in uh, Mexico now, Gu- uh, Guatemala, it doesn't work down in Guatemala at the moment, but it will work uh, probably at the beginning of next year. But um, parking with the vehicle in clear sight of the Northern sky. So like mm-hmm. if we have a, if we just maneuver the van where the Northern sky is clear, then we have absolutely no issues with reception. And um, what I even do is I'll put it up and I'll turn it on and I'll see where it's looking. And then I'll go, okay, I know where the, where the satellite is. If I maneuver Mm -hmm. the van to where that's clear, then you're good. Mm -hmm. I think for us, it's a little bit of a safety thing to have it on the roof. And we do Mm -hmm. take it in and out because actually like the very first question you asked was about like low hanging stuff in Mexico. And there are so many power lines and, and trees. trees and vines and mm-hmm. and like through the cities, you just go down a block and you're like, well, I hope those like there's hundreds of power lines. Like, please don't like, break my panels. <laughs> so if we had the Starlink, that's why we take it down when we drive, because I feel like it would just be like a giant fish hook, like driving down the street, oh, yeah. like picking everything up. But so well, the, the, when we're parked in like the cities or whatever to have it on the roof somebody would have to like climb up on our roof mm-hmm. to get yeah. it. You know right. what I mean? It, it and we're be- in and when it's up. So then it's kind of like it, like we can't just like put it out on the grass. And you also know? Yeah. If you're in the middle of the city. It's, I think what we should have is a second mount. Mm-hmm. Cause then we could put the second mount just like, you know, if Outside. we're parked in a good spot, we could just like drop it in the middle of the field mm-hmm. and run the line and like, cool. But then if you're in the city and you can't just like put the Starlink on the ground, you know, it's kind of like a catch twenty two. I guess. I mean, I I mm-hmm. can always just go zip 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 and then yeah. throw the, the Porsche there, you know? is out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty quick you know uh, exchange in a sense. Um, but I I will say that we really haven't had much issue with it being on our roof. Um, and and yeah, like Alex was talking about in the city, it has to be up there just because like we can't kind of throw it out, and there's more buildings mm-hmm. blocking us, so it actually helps us a lot of the time when it's up that high. Um. So it, it's been beneficial in that aspect. I think maybe once or twice we had like one or two spots where it was like, oh, you're going to have an outage every 10 minutes. Or like we were parked under a big tree. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's just not going to cut it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. I, I was a little annoyed too because I had gotten my Starlink before the RV option became available. And so like I was doing just the, you know, I I said that my residence was in Arkansas because that was an available cell. So that's how I was able to get it before it was widely available and it worked fine. Um, But I knew whenever they started to talk about that RV option, I was like, you know what, they're going to lock us down to where you can't if, if you're either RV or you're at your service address, there is no gray area anymore. And for me, sure enough, they ended up whenever I went to Key West, I went, uh, deployed it and it was like, you're not at your service address. So I had to upgrade to RV right at that moment. And, you know, very long story short, like it took basically almost 12 hours before the service actually Mm -hmm. kicked back in again, even though they said that you're supposed to be almost immediate. It was about 12 hours before the service actually started working again for me, which I don't know why that was. Um, but I, I was a bit annoyed because really, honestly, it's clearly a money grab kind of situation because, you know, this is inherently portable technology. The fact that I'm not at my service address 
technically shouldn't be, you know, a limitation. They just want that extra money. So that was a mild annoyance that now I have to pay an extra 25 bucks a month for something I'm not using all the time. The only benefit that would be that you cancel it whenever you wanted. Like say you have really great home internet and you're not traveling this month, you could just pause it and then save a whole $120, you know, but I totally get what you're saying. Same thing happened to us. We had it in like this, the town that we got it shipped to working great. As soon as we left that town, we got it shipped to immediately. It was like, you need to switch to the RV plan. So, and we did. And, but the interesting part on our end where we got really lucky is since it thinks our residency is Mexico, we now pay Mexico rates. So like ah. it adjusted the rate of like, depending on where you live and the demographic there and the financial stability of the place. And we only pay $67 a month for our RV uh, satellite now. So like, even if we go to the States, I'm fairly certain since we have a Mexico one, we'll always pay the Mexico price. Until we lock yeah, it in, well, but then, until we lock it in as a home address. You were saying the yeah. other day yeah. you're allowed to travel within your continent. Yes, but like if you're in a different country for more than two months, do you have to change? It, it? doesn't say anything. But about only that. if you're in a new continent. Only if you go to a new months. continent. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. So who knows? Maybe we'll yeah. uh, skirt the system for a little while. I, you know, honestly, I doubt it. I hope you can, but I doubt it. They've got all this kind of stuff figured out. You know, you got the bean counters that are looking for the holes and they want to make sure they get their money. So, because that, that was one of the things as well as prior to the RV option is if, if you were to use your Starlink at a non-service address for a period of time, they would automatically move you to that service area. And if you, it was in an area that the cell was saturated and they wouldn't, that wouldn't allow you to come in otherwise you would basically just lose service mm. so you know they've got that type of stuff figured out you know so i wouldn't be surprised if they'll, they'll figure you out as well in time <laughs> <laughs> you're like you haven't been in mexico in like a year isn't, like, what's up with that? isn't the idea of it though making uh internet affordable for people right yep. so if you that, I mean, that's their mission statement right? Mm-hmm. for people then it's about being affordable or being that's accessible. the whole well it's not it's accessible and affordable that's the whole point of of uh starlink because it's supposed to give uh internet to like kids in africa or like well they yep. definitely pay a different rate than steven well yeah i mean i agree <laughs> but <For sure. laughs> but that's the whole point of it is for everybody everywhere to be able to have internet so there's no like um a discrepancy of the opportunity that might be there. Mm-hmm. Like it's trying to give people opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's actually oh. something very recent. I saw a video of a guy who's like, you know, kind of a Starlink nerd. Uh, he was explaining that, you know, they're, they are shifting their, their price models to be, as you'd mentioned re- with respect to, you know, the country's economy and, you know, things of that nature. Uh, and so like a lot of people are getting, you know, really big discounts, 50% off, 60% off, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So uh, he was speculating whether or not that's going to be an overall um, kind of a service uh, adjustment uh, that may actually also come with uh, bandwidth restrictions, Whereas it's kind of the wild west and you get what you get. Some people are getting, you know, 200 megabits per second. Some people are getting 50 mm-hmm. where they'll actually start throttling it to some extent. So where there'll be like a baseline service offering and, you know, you will pay with respect to whatever that bandwidth is. So they're still evolving clearly. 
but I mean, it's worked great for me. Um, you know, I've, uh, as long as I got clear sky, like I said, it's been great. Uh, I I've worked cause I work in it and so I can really work wherever I want to. And, you know, I, I don't have, um, a lot of uh, bandwidth needs, but still, you know, it, it, I'm able to do, you know, remote into servers and do, you know, video conferencing and, you know, move files and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's been pretty amazing and, and exciting because to release those shackles to where I could, I could work in the Rockies, I can work, you know, in, you know, wherever <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. But yeah. It's really interesting to hear that you're working in it. How long have you been in that? you know, uh, lifestyle. And do you think that it's something that you could do on the road indefinitely? Yeah. So like I, I've been in it for about 18 years. Uh, you know, majority of my career has been in this space. I'm a systems engineer. So I support, you know, major corporate infrastructure, you know, worked for JP Morgan, uh, chase, uh, worked for, uh, pods, the moving company, uh, currently work for a company called shift four, uh, who actually his, the CEO was the mission commander for the uh, inspiration? Was it the Inspiration Four? You know the uh, SpaceX launch of four civilians into space. Cool. Yeah, um, um, yeah. He, my CEO was the guy that that led that mission. But anyways, um, he was on the ship. Yep. Yep. Jared Isaacman. So he, he's kind of, uh, not to get off on a tangent, but like, he's, it's kind of cliche to say it, but he's almost like a real life Tony Stark. Like he uh-huh. flies like fighter jets. He's a huge philanthropist. Uh, you know, he's, he's wanting to invent like sexy technology and stuff. And he, he's a very interesting guy, but yeah, he, uh, they were partnering with uh, SpaceX to some extent. And during the conversation, when they were ending the meeting, as the story goes, uh, the CEO of my company was like, hey, if you ever have any opportunities for citizens to go up into space, you know, I'll volunteer. And supposedly there was a, a, a little bit of silence on the conference call. And they were like, OK, I guess the call's over with. And they were like, well, funny enough, you should mention it. We actually do have a program we're trying to put together to put civilians in space. Um, as part of like a demonstration and just push the capabilities and make, you know, space flight more obtainable for non-astronauts and whatnot, you know, long story short, he ended up being the mission commander and helped like devise the program and, and actually, you know, flew the mission and, you know, he's a civilian. He just so happens to know how to, you know, fly fighter jets and he's a super smart guy. Just so happens to know how to fly. Like he's played a lot of video games or something. Like, how does one? He was. He was one of those kids. Yeah, he was one of those kids that like liked uh, flying. So like he did the normal deal of uh, learning how to fly a single engine plane and worked his way up to dual engine and you know jets and you know he's a you know billionaire or, or multi hundreds millionaire. So he has his own jets. You know fighter jets and even at work you know they uh they have what they call a top gun program so employees can kind of submit people as nominees for like you know stellar work within the business and if if they win the top gun they fly to montana and go up in a fighter jet with him you know as as reward for you know hard work they just go go up there and have some fun it's pretty wild sick yeah you gotta work a little bit harder yeah, right. so you can get in the you know the jet club right yeah my my uh my immediate manager actually got it uh this last quarter so he'll be going up there at some point i think in uh, spring maybe or something so I'll, I'll be able to hear all the deets about it but anyways uh so yeah 
uh, been in IT for about 18 years. And, and, you know, I've been slowly, as I've been building the van, I've been working through my mind, uh, kind of the logistics of uh, maintaining high productivity in the van. And what would that take? Like I've gone through probably three or four iterations of my work set up and now I've got it completely dialed in, you know, where I have three monitors, two of them are 4k uh, they're portable monitors, so they're very small and they're powered off of USB-C. You know, I have uh, a nice mechanical keyboard that's what they call a 60%. So it's like 60% the size of a normal keyboard. And although that sounds, you know, a lot smaller uh, than a normal keyboard, when you put them side by side, it's not that much smaller, especially when you just drop off the 10 key. You know, and I've got uh, all my peripherals. I've, I've, you know, like spliced wires and whatnot for like power supply. So like all of my system runs off a of DC. I don't need my uh, inverter for anything except for cooking. So, you know, DC being more efficient. So I don't have to worry about converting from DC to AC back to DC again. And I see a couple of amps saved uh, throughout the uh, the usage of it. But, you know, now that I've got it dialed in, I've been slowly working my way into, you know, just working a little bit, you know, from the van when it's cooler here in Florida. Uh, and then I'm wor working my way towards, you know, leaving Florida now as far as like working. Like I, all the work I've done has been within Florida just in case something unforeseen happened and I can, you know, get back, you know, to the house and, and pick up work or whatever, but it's never failed me between having Wi-Fi as an option or Starlink and my work setup keeps me super productive. And in fact, I'm, I'm using it right now. That was a, uh, one of my other approaches is, is rather than just using this mobile setup when I'm in the van, I use it all day, every day. So that way, when I'm working at home versus working in the van, it feels the exact same, you know, so I'm still super efficient, super comfortable with everything. And now that we're approaching fall, you know, things are going to be cooling off a little bit more, uh, you know, I'm hoping to kind of go up into maybe like the, you know, Blue Ridge mountains or the Smokies and start working from there for longer periods of time. And then just baby steps my way out West. And eventually I won't be coming back to Florida at all. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty Look nice. Look at the smile on his face right now. It's huge. That. <laughs> well, I was just gonna. I, I, this has been something I've been working on. Like I don't belong in Florida. I never belong. This was supposed to be a short-term thing, so I've been kind of trapped here. So I've had a lot of time to think and plan and daydream. So the fact that you know it has the potential to come to fruition, like I just, it's a huge relief that it's slowly becoming a reality. Because there's always a chance in life that you'll be denied. But for me, it's it's I'm on the precipice. And so I'm very excited at, at the, you know, these daydreams becoming reality. So that's why, you know, ear to ear grins. Mm, that's yeah. so exciting. I love that. So obviously you've gone through a couple of iterations of this mobile office and it sounds like power supply is one of the important things. But do you have any tips for anybody else who's trying to set up like what were your big mistakes or you, you know, you start working your day and you're like, oh, my God, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this this is a rabbit hole because it, this is going to be kind of a an in, a indication of kind of my thought process so like for me there was like main categories that my solution had to satisfy and these were things that i didn't come up uh, with off the top of my head these were like kind of lessons learned and i can boil it down and think three or four different areas so one is is that the solution needs to be easy to set up first of all and then consequently needs to be easy to be taken down. 
Uh, it needs to be highly functional. Like I need to maintain the same level of productivity versus, you know, from when I'm in the office, when I'm at home or when I'm in the van. Uh, and then it, uh, it, it hopefully can serve multiple purposes. So, you know, that's why like I'm going with these 15.4 inch 4k portable monitors, uh, because they're like maybe a quarter of an inch thick and 15.6 inches. So they're still a relatively good size and, and high resolution. So not only can I use them in my, you know, three monitor display setup, but I can actually take them on the road because I have to travel. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas working in a data center, deploying some new equipment. I was able to take one of these monitors, take my Surface Pro, you know, take a lot of these things that are inherently mobile with me. So once again, I'm, I'm you know, I'm fully functional on the road and I'm using equipment that I already have. So it's multi-purposed mm -hmm. and, you know, it needs to be easy to take down because as you well know, whenever you get deployed and you're kind of doing your thing to be able to move your home, you don't just hop in the seat and crank the, you know, for the most part, just crank up and go like you got to batten down the hatches, you know, you got to take the work, you know, set up down. So like, I don't want to be trapped um, whenever I'm working, like I want to be able to, oh, you know what? I want to go this burger place down the road that I saw for lunch. Well, let me, it takes me two seconds to kind of put all this away and then I can go and do my thing. And then whenever I'm back, it takes me two seconds to set it back up again. So those were kind of my high level thought processes. And throughout that, you know, I tried to do what most people do, which I, in my opinion, is a bit of a mistake is, is people try and replicate what they have in an office space in their van. You know, kudos to them if they pull off the 32 inch monitors and, you know, the, the full size keyboards and stuff like that. But I had, uh, you know, space constraints based on my build layout. And also I just don't want those big things. You know, I tried starting off with a 24 inch monitor um, and actually converted that to where it was straight DC. So again, I don't have to use my inverter to be able to do work and whatnot. And it was such a hassle to be able to pull that thing out and put it, put it back away and kind of, you know, position it to where I can still see my laptop and that big monitor and stuff. And, and, you know, just with that little bit of research, I found these as an option and on a whim, I was like, let me buy these and just see if they work. And it was just yeah, it was a slam dunk from day one. I was like, this was a great decision. I mean, it almost looks like you draw a line straight around where all the keys are and you just get rid mm -hmm. of everything else. Yep. And it's so this is a, a Keytron. It's K-E-Y-C-H-R-O-N. And it is a nerd's keyboard. If you're into keyboards, you should already know about this because each one of these switches, since it's a mechanical keyboard, like each one of these switches can be changed to whatever, you know, Newton pressure you want, you know, and they do it by color, you know, banana and, or maybe it's just yellow, green, red, and then all those uh, indicate the level of pressure you have to press in order for it to activate. So you can customize each individual one of these keys and you can set it up to three different devices. So like when I'm in the van, or even when I'm at home, I have my work set up here in front of me, and then I have my personal MacBook over to the side. And just with a hotkey, both on my keyboard and my trackball mouse, I'm controlling my MacBook. So not only can I just switch back and forth for that, it you know, again, it's multi-purpose. Like I can use my keyboard, my mouse for a bunch of different things. It's not just work. And it's familiar to me. 
Like at this point, I prefer this keyboard over a large keyboard or a standard size, I should say. Anytime I switch to a standard, it feels ridiculous. I feel like it's a clown keyboard. Like everything's so big and spaced out. It makes it harder for me to type. Like this little keyboard is the jam. Like it's going to be the way I, even if I wasn't working in the van, this is where I'm happily typing. Yeah. That's so funny because so we have two laptops and their keyboards are set up different. One has like the numbers on the side, like the one, two, three, four number panel. And then the other one doesn't. And it's just yeah, all the spaced out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So like when I go from one computer to the other computer, I feel like I've like lost control of my dexterity or something because I'll go to type and it's I'm not hitting any of the right buttons. Everything's all I'm like, I know how to type. This <laughs> is really you almost have to relearn for 10 years i know what i know how to type but just like (laughs) like you get used to your machine you know but it Mm -hmm. sounds like maybe a little bit of investment and a little bit of research the technology is really there to enable you to like have all the like comforts of a home office you know just like a little bit more miniature well and also being modular with it you know being able to plug and play and pull it out and use it wherever else you need i think uh, is actually the most wonderful thing you could do for yourself and like you said you know take a little extra time to do some research on more specific things that are going to you know benefit you i think one of the problems is a lot of people not only are they trying to set up the home office but they're also trying to get on the road quickly so like you know, that mm-hmm. time plays a role. And then, you know, instead of having, you know, two years of build time, you know, you're on the road in four months, like we like we were. So it just makes a big difference in like how you feel and how you want to live and, you know, how you might have set it up because you're like, you know what, this doesn't work like this because you're actually living in it and you're feeling it out. And you're understanding what you need to live and to feel good. Yeah. And that's one of the things I try and stress with anybody that, that, you know, is, is doing a build is if you, if you're afforded the opportunity to kind of do it uh, on a longer time scale, you know, if you give yourself six months or maybe even a year is in the different stages of the build, actually use the van, even though it's not done, actually go out and do it. Because I found that that informed uh, some of the build decisions later on, some things that I thought may have been important or that, you know, I thought made sense whenever I actually used it in various stages. I'm like, no, actually, this doesn't make sense. And tweaking things along the way. So I'm more organically arrived to that end point without, you know, getting to the end point and then having to rebuild the van completely, you know, doing the van 2.0 that a lot of people do, or, you know, having to do major changes after, you know, I felt like I was done. Cause that's, that's pretty uh, frustrating, especially for me. Cause you know, I, I did this 100% by myself. So for me to have to redo things after, you know, dedicating over 500 hours, is really deflating and you know burnout was real <laughs> yeah oh yeah i see you there I, I will say too is when you're watching these youtube videos you're watching these things like we make them so we know what it's like we're showing you stuff based on how we live and how we feel and what what feels comfortable for us might is definitely completely different for steven you know what i mean so it's like even though yep. uh you, you might have utilized us as like a subject of like you know, understanding how we might do it. Probably more like what not to do. Or what not to do. Yeah, but like you're realizing <laughs> like, oh, I can do it that way. And I think other people need to like make sure that you're like, do I work the same as that person? 
Like, cause if I don't, that setup isn't going to work for me. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, I, I did put together like a little work video on YouTube to kind of share and, and kind of add some color to why I made the decisions to see if it would help inform anybody. Because whenever I was looking around to try and get like kind of a, a jump start on what it meant to work out of the van, I'm looking at everyone else's solutions. And, and that's whenever I came away with that conclusion is like most people are simply just trying to replicate the office space as it exists in their van. And I really think that, you know, it is very subjective, as you said, but I think there's an inherent flaw in that, that you're trying to put, you know, a round peg and, you know, or a square peg in a round hole is that, you know, a lot of people probably don't know that you can get portable 4K monitors and that there's these, you know, these nifty little keyboards, these 60, you know, 60% keyboards. So I was hoping to, you know, share that with everybody and uh, maybe give them a leg up or at least something to think about or consider. But I, I've, I think I've actually since taken that down because I want to reshoot it um, because I'm yeah. I'm not a YouTuber and I really don't know how to be a little bit more concise. I think I elaborate too much because I feel like I'm trying to convince people <laughs> in the moment uh, rather than just <laughs> laying out the facts and let them come to their own conclusion. So I'm going to end up reshooting that and uh, and reshare it to see if it can help anybody. Because again, you know, if you're really looking for something that is, is, you know, high productivity, very functional, super easy to, you know, take down, put up, uh, it's, it's relatively inexpensive. It, it's draws, you know, no power, you know, guys, I know that's a, a concern for a lot of people, depending on how much, you know, battery they put in their build. You know, I really think this checks a ton of boxes, uh, and maybe there's some things people can cherry pick if it works better for them. So hopefully I'll get that up here at some point. Yeah, and definitely let us know when that goes up because we could, you know, share it and hopefully help people through our community and hopefully reach a bigger audience uh, to be able to give them an opportunity to see like a better setup that might help them out because that's really what the channel is all about is helping other people through our experience. And if we could utilize other people's experiences, I think that's perfect. You know, it gives Mm-hmm. everybody the opportunity to grow from something so important i think that we don't we, we don't normally get that information because we're always seeing like a glamorous side of things if not yeah exactly i mean that's what i really like about uh your guys's channel is is that you know you guys express your and and share like the fun but then you show you share like the the beach incident, you know, and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the gas tank, you know, the, the diesel in the gas tank, you know, like there, there doesn't seem to be any, you guys aren't really trying to paint a picture. You guys are just sharing life. And I, that's what I think is very infectious about your channel and why, you know, I get it pretty excited when you guys upload something like, Oh, cool. You know, I know what I'm about to do for the next mm-hmm. you know, 20 minutes. Yeah, oh yeah, we, we appreciate, that. appreciate that. And well, I mean, that's what it's about is like, uh, well, for us, at least we're not trying to be anything we're not. And we're trying to just show people life, you know, like what it's really mm-hmm. like out here on the road. And there might be certain things missing every once in a while, you know, just because we didn't film, you know, a particular thing. Um, and we do try to make it as entertaining as possible. So that way you continue, continue to want to watch, you know, uh, but mm-hmm. it is all very much real and us, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's very apparent. You know, and I, I know that's pretty challenging too. That's something I'm trying to wrap my head around with. Cause I, as I said, I, I, I'm not a YouTuber. I don't really aspire to become a YouTuber, but you know, I, I, I'm hoping at some point to develop the skill set you guys do, because at least on the other side of the camera, what's presented seems very organic. Like you don't, it, it doesn't seem as though you guys are working like super hard to have to capture these. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it is a job for you guys, but it's not apparent. Um, and I think that's just because you guys are probably a little bit more efficient about it. You know, what may be interesting beforehand and things like that. So you've got the efficiencies down just through repetition. So that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I can learn with time as I do like my informative videos. That's what that's, I think that's probably what I would aspire to, not so much being a YouTuber, but just sharing all the things that I've learned along the way, because, you know, there, there's so many things that this build has taught me uh, that, you know, it's very niche and there's not many other places that I can leverage this in, in a direct way. So I'm hoping to start really getting better at telling that story and, and editing that narrative and sharing it to where, you know, I, I just hope to share just information in general. Yeah, I think that's an awesome goal. And, you know, like you have 500 plus hours in your van build, we definitely have 500 plus hours on the YouTube channel. So, you know, when somebody comes and sees your finished build and they're like, wow, and you're like, yeah, blood, sweat and tears went into this bad boy. Um, But so, you know, speaking of building community and, you know, sharing information, you know, as kind of like a part time van lifer. Have you been able to kind of connect with other van lifers? I mean, I know we connected with you, you know, a while back. Um, but like, you know, how has that been for you? Have you been to any nomad events or like, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel like you're part of the nomad van life community? Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll say kind of yes and no. Like from, I haven't been able to really get fully um, involved in the community. So like through you guys, whenever I was trying to give away some of my leftover build stuff, you guys were able to connect me uh, with someone that was building their van. And I've since formed a friendship with her uh, and actually helped her a little bit on her build as well. So, you know, I, I feel as though that that's going to end up being one of those lifelong friendships, which is very cool. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, chance happening brought us together. Um, and, but I haven't had the opportunity to actually get out and kind of co-mingle with other people that, you know, are striving to live this lifestyle or just weekend warriors like I am right now. And, you know, there, it's kind of for two reasons, you know, one is, is that right now I haven't gone looking for that. I, I tend to be a bit of an introvert. I have introverted tendencies, but, you know, whenever I get in around certain people and, you know, can click with them, then, you know, you won't get me to shut up. But, you know, there's that icebreaker, I guess. So there's a little reluctance for me to go out and seek that, you know, um, but the other is, and I think this is the reality of the situation. It's back to the whole East Coast deal. Not to say that there aren't a ton of van people out here, but it just feels like it's different than whenever I see things that are done out West. It's, it's, there seems to be like a divide there in terms of the community and whether that's a reality, you know, I, I can't say for certain, uh, but it, it's my perception. So I feel like it's, it's less accessible to some extent especially considering, you know, and this, this kind of seems silly, but, you know, for me to really get anywhere that's interesting to me, it's at least an eight to nine hour drive. 
because, you know, it takes over four hours just to get from Tampa out of Florida, you know, then you're in Southern Georgia. So it's going to take you another four or five hours to get into the Hills and stuff like that. So, you know, although I, I really hoped that this uh, van would allow me to do kind of spontaneous long weekend kind of trips, you know, if I don't have more than maybe two or three days at my disposal, a lot of times the trips aren't worth it. So consequently, um, I've only taken maybe about seven trips and I've taken some big trips where I've gone up to like Congaree, Congaree, I can't ever say it right the first time, Congaree National Park in South Carolina, you know, and drove up through, you know, the Carolinas and a little bit into Virginia and East Tennessee and then came back down through the Carolinas and back down to Florida. I've done trips like that two or three times, uh, but all those were been solo and it's just been things I've planned on a whim. Like I haven't done the caravanning and I haven't gone to any meetups or anything like that, but you know, and that's for a lot of reasons, but I'm hoping that's going to change um, here in the near future. So I can, you know, start getting into that lifestyle. Cause I mean, clearly I have a lot, uh, a lot of similarities with the the people that are doing the same thing. So it'd be some easy friends, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it will be too. I think that just the, the van, just traveling in the van and when you meet other people who are doing the same thing, it's a, an immediate connection. It, whether, whether you want it to be or not, it's just an immediate connection. Like you, you have a very similar thing that you're looking, you know, possibly to enjoy and experience life in a different way than most people in just normal society. So you have this, you know, automatic belief that's kind of in place already. And, you know, a lot of things don't matter except for enjoying life and having fun um, and enjoying a new experience. In in most cases, there'll be cases that are different. But with that, be with all that being said, doing the seven trips on the East Coast, are there anything that you've learned or any tips that you could give to the people that might help their experience with East Coast van life travel? Well, you know, for me, it was more of just uh, resetting expectations. You know, um, I, I think the lessons learned is, as honestly, be okay with the Cracker Barrels and the Walmart nights, you know, um, that it, it isn't, you know, you can't emulate the things that are available on the West Coast with, via BLM lands. Like you can't, you know, that's just not an option over here. So I, I think for me, that's been um, the, the biggest lesson learned is, is to be okay with that. Uh, but otherwise is... You know, and I also kind of held the West Coast and, or I should say the, you know, the Rockies and whatnot in high regard, because I was like, those are mountains and, and at the expense of, you know, the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Smokies and other mountain ranges, I'm like, yeah, those aren't real mountains. But I was reminded about, you know, it's very beautiful uh, on the East, mm -hmm. you know, the Southeast and, and, and going up to the Shenandoahs and stuff like that. There's tons of stuff here. And I don't know why I was so... I poo-pooed it so much, especially whenever it comes to like the fall. Uh, Cause I, I was fortunate enough uh, last year to go up to and do some hiking in the Adirondacks uh, in, in the fall. And I did a van trip um, all the way up to, you know, hiked uh, Mount Mitchell, which is the highest peak uh, east of the Mississippi. And I was able to, to hike to the top of that guy with all the fall colors and stuff like that. So, so for me, it was a reminder that, you know, my backyard is pretty, well, I say my backyard, <laughs> about eight to 11 hours from my backyard is very beautiful. And, and to not keep my eye so focused on, 
you know, out in the Rockies and stuff like that. Um, I've, I personally found that, um, I had a lot of, um, uh, battery anxiety, you know, not sure how much, because, you know, coming into new to this, even though I could do the math on what all my appliances took and I could estimate how many hours I'd be running them and how many amps, like I had a lot of anxiety of running out of power and I found that to not be the reality. Uh, and so my build, uh, just a um, level set is I got 300 amp hours of lithium ion battleborn, just like most everybody else. And I would say, unless like, yeah, un- unless I was, you know, in, in cloudy skies and didn't drive anywhere for, you know, four or five days, like it's, it's not an issue. So, so for me, that, that was actually a good thing to discover as well. You know, I don't have to worry about it. I, I've since actually installed a DC to DC charger as well. So, you know, I have three, three options to charge and it's definitely not a problem now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. DC but, to DC so, charger. helps so, a lot. Yeah. But, you know, some of the things that I don't think a lot of people new to van, uh, the van situation uh, considers are like odd things like food storage and not, not from a, you know, um, volume or, you know, uh, well, no, not, yeah, not, not even from that, not from a physical standpoint, but like the things that you probably normally wouldn't have out in a warm environment, you know, the things that you may actually want to start throwing in the refrigerator that you normally wouldn't at home because your home is climate controlled and all this other stuff. But, you know, everyone, of course, knows that, you know, chocolate, you know, you don't want to keep chocolate in a warm van because, you know, that'll melt your chocolate. But other little things like, I, you know, I, bread undoubtedly molds a lot faster when it's in a nice, warm, humid environment. So maybe that's something you keep in the refrigerator. So it's, little things like that, that I don't think people know to ask those questions, um, that, uh, maybe you learn along the way, but that's, those are some other things, I guess, that I became apparent the more I got out in the van. So I'm wondering, cause you obviously spend a lot of time in Florida and the humidity there can be pretty gnarly. Do you have any tips for like keeping your van kind of dried out? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we're dealing with physics at that point. So I had, I originally I built my van with the notion of I'm going to be a fair weather van person. And whenever I do get the opportunity to live out of my van for an extended period of time, I'm going to be chasing the weather. That's something that I want to do. I want to just follow the weather that I want. You know, if I want to be skiing, then I'm going to go to that type of area. If I want to be warm, I'm going to go to that area. So I never thought about air conditioning. So fast forward to when the build is pretty much done and I'm in sticky Florida and I'm like, but I still want to use my van. I still want to go and do things. So I started to try and research uh, different options. And it really boils down to the fact that, you know, if the air is hot and moist, move, simply moving air is not going to cool you off. So you can't do the cabin f- fans. You can do the dual roof mount fans and try and do like kind of the push-pull scenario where one's drawing in air one is exhausting air or if you have windows have them both exhausting like there's ways that you can stay kind of comfortable uh in in that regard and minimize your movement you know park in shade you know try and keep your van from getting heat soaked right away because you'll never cool it off at that point but i, I had to relent i had to figure out some way to 
in, incorporate active cooling. And so I did a, a ton of research and tried to see if I could po- perhaps retrofit a Dometic, you know, rooftop uh, air conditioner or something like that. Um, but there was two things that kind of stopped, you know, pumped the brakes on that. One is, is I didn't want to have to tear down my ceiling. I like my ceiling. Uh, I don't want to have to take that down to be able to install the bracketry and try and fish, you know, heavy gauge wire down to the battery bank and all this other stuff. Uh, and the other is, is that I don't want to have a solution that restricts my flexibility. If you do a rooftop air conditioner, then you lose the ability to intake or exhaust air, what was once previously a fan, because it's a closed loop system. And you're only going to be using the air conditioner in very you know, specific situations. If you have shore power or sparingly if you're on batteries, depending on your battery storage. But so I, I didn't want to lose the ability to have two fans pushing and pulling air or whatever configuration made sense. So I was like, you know what? Maybe this doesn't make sense. So that's whenever I started looking at portable ACs and I got our buddy Zero Breeze. <laughs> so that that's something that that's something else that I went kind of off into a rabbit hole on, on as well. And and I've since converted my Zero Breeze to run directly off of Z, uh, DC power. I did, you know, uh, some some real nerding out on it to figure out is there any uh, benefit to doing that, you know, because if you really think about it, you're converting your DC power to AC and then from the AC power supply back to DC again. So it's wasted power conversion. So like I'm doing like graphs and comparisons and stuff to see what my power savings are. And that's another video at some point I hope to put together to show people how I, how I accomplished that conversion, you know, and one of the reasons I did that conversion as well is, is the implementation was a lot easier for me whenever I'm having to turn, you know, to, to do that, not only do I have to deploy my zero breeze, I've got to open up my phone, open up the Victron app, turn on the inverter, plug it in, you know, do all this other stuff. Well, now I literally just plug it in. Well, and then on top of that, the, the heat, the heat sink from the from the conversion, the the transformer that's in it, actually creates a ton of heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually reached out to the support team. I was like, I just want to make sure this is normal because whenever I touched my power supply at one point, it was uncomfortable to touch. Like I really couldn't keep my hand on it. And I was like, this, I just want to make sure this isn't a problem. And and they did confirm it's like, yeah, depending on the ambient temperature, that's not unusual. I was like, holy smokes. So it's kind of very hot. We actually one time we had to put it in a frying pan because we were worried that it was gonna like melt something. So we're like, okay, let's just put it in the frying pan so it'll stay, you know, frying pans can get hot and not have a problem. My countertop might not be able to I mean the ambient temperature outside is probably ninety-eight degrees, you know, to a hundred degrees. So you know, which is very common in Florida in the summertime as well. Yep. So, I mean, I, I've really discovered the thermal limits on the zero breeze and that that's kind of something I feel that a lot of people kind of convey in like, you know, in my research, I watch a lot of YouTube videos about van people using zero breeze and they were all pretty glowing reviews. Uh, and they seem to convey that there were some limits to it, but they really weren't being precise. And I'm sure in certain instances it was because it was a sponsored video or 
whatever their rationalization was, but I feel like they weren't being true to what its capabilities are. And I hope to kind of convey that in, in, in the video that'll come at some point, but it really boils down to the zero breeze as long, and you guys well know this, I'm sure you've, you've talked about it is as, as long as you're in the airstream, no matter how hot it is, it's able to keep you comfortable, but it'll never be yes. able to keep the ambient temperature of that van down. I mean, it's just completely no. impossible. And, yeah. you know, so as long as you I'm keep that in sure mind, that we, then it's a perfect solution. I'm pretty sure that we had a conversation like in a DM, like you shot me a DM and like, hey, how do you feel about Zero Breeze? And I'm pretty sure I told you like all the things that I felt on that Zero Breeze. Like it works if you're directly in line with it or if the ambient temperature outside mm -hmm. is below 80 degrees. You know, you but could, if it's below 80 degrees, don't, why are you even turning on? Necessarily you know? need it. You know, exactly. I feel like it's been so that's yeah, it's yeah. been a lifesaver a couple of times. Yeah, where like at night, at night when you're trying to sleep and it's boiling lava hot, and you just like having like cold air blowing on your feet or whatever, like it's like I can like be comfortable and fall asleep, mm -hmm. but it's definitely not like a daily solution that we turn to. And it's funny because when we were somewhere recently and it was so hot, and somebody was like, Don't you have air conditioning? and I was like, No. And then I, I was like, oh, yeah, like, we have go. this whole system that I've just completely forgot about. And now that I've thought about it, I don't even want to set it up because it'll be the sun will go down soon <laughs> and it won't be bad. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't say that I had buyer's remorse per se, because, you know, I, I, you know, my test cases, you know, I actually legitimately like went out and put it into different scenarios to see what its capabilities were to see how how it could work for me. And, and one of those was just sitting and working. And, you know, it, it's, it's able to do that at least. So, you know, I didn't really get buyer's remorse per se. But, you know, it, what's frustrating is, is that it's so close to doing exactly what I need it to that it makes it more frustrating that it can't. They're scratching that itch, but they're missing the spot. You yeah, know, they're yes. like right next mm -hmm. to that. Itch. Go right, go right, go right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it's so yeah. cool that you really dig into all of your products and you like figure out the intricacies and how to repower them and how to like you know, get the most out of it. Because I think a lot of people just buy something and then install it and they're like, oh, it either it works or it didn't and that's it. And, you know, they don't really think much further about it. So it's awesome that you're doing these deep oh. dives and things. And honestly, those videos would be super helpful for people, even just being able like ourselves to convert it to the DC power, mm -hmm. you know, and feel comfortable doing mm -hmm. that so that, you know, feel comfortable running it more often without worrying about our battery well, bank. I guess one of the questions I have about that would be, you know, the, the size of the fuse that you need to use uh, when you're using DC current, because I think it's about 10 amps when you're using um, AC current, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, you know, is it is it like 20 amps that you're pulling? You know, when you're when you're when you're plugged in via DC or direct to like fuse box. Yeah, I think originally I tried a 15 amp fuse and I think I popped it once and then I upped it to a 20 amp and that one's been fine. So like the the challenge is, is that the unit is actually 24 volts. It's not 12 volts. So you have to buy an up converter to take your 12 volt system up to 24 so there's still an inline converter that will produce heat, 
but it, it for me mine's in the garage and so it's kind of isolated away from the kind of the living area so the fact that it gets warm is comparatively inconsequential compared to the power supply sitting on my countertop you know uh and overall well, yeah, you don't have to uh, put it in the frying pan yeah, yeah exactly um, so like the, the comparisons I did, you know, with the running on max or running on normal with high fan, low fan, I think on average, uh, it was, uh, consumed two amps less, which for a lot of people is like, wait, that's nothing. But if you talk about two amps over a period of a night, you know, then you're saving 16 amps, you know, yeah, those, those, those little, yeah, those little numbers, they add up whenever you start finding those efficiencies here, there, and everywhere. Like, you know, how I've converted all my work system to run off of DC, you know, there's amperage savings there as well. So I'm, you know, trying to creatively make my 300 amp hours, you know, maximize it. And it's also kind of fun to nerd out. This, these are the kind of things I like to do. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, we could use some of that uh, maximizing of uh, the 12 volt system and getting rid of a lot of the 120 stuff. We don't use a lot of 120, but like the computers per se are 120. I really wish that I could plug it into a 12 volt. Um, and it probably plugs directly into 12 if I look at the battery pack. But it's it's like, I don't know, I wouldn't feel super great about cutting our only power supply Cur to correct. our only computer. So that's kind of like the scary thing about all of these tinkerings is that, you, you know, you might mess something up to the point where you, you don't have that something anymore, you know, or you need to invest yeah. a little bit more money to get that something back. Well, that's, that's what, that's kind of what I did. So like two things on that front is, is, so like what I did was for, so I have a docking station right now that I use for, you know, my work computer and it, it you know, I'm actually using it on my Mac right now because it's just USB-C, you know, for the, the main input. And then you have all your USB-A's and other USB-C's on, on the docking station. Well, that power supply, you know, I looked on the back of it to see what voltage uh, it required for the input. And so like, you know, you have your, your, regular AC two-prong plug on one side, and then you got your proprietary adapter coming out of the other side that you plug into your laptop or your dock. I cut that cable, and then I spliced in a quick connect cable in between that. And then so I have another uh, power converter that I can, via a screw, I can twist, and I can control how much voltage it's putting out. I match the voltage of the input that the power supply needed, and then I take that proprietary into that cable and put another quick connect on the adapter and just plug them together. So basically, in order for me to take this from sitting right here in my house doing work to taking it into the van, all I do is I pull the plug off of the power supply and then plug it into the adapter in the van and boom, it's DC. No AC. And it all it like takes is... It sounds like you have a replica being made uh, so you could mass produce these and sell them to all the van lifers. <laughs> <laughs> well, the That's problem is idea. like, yeah, all, all these power supplies have different requirements, but like, you of know, course, like yeah. that, that uh, little adapter from Amazon is like $4 or $5. And I got like a package of three of them, you know, and then you've already got your power supply. So then all you need is like butt connectors, you know, or a, a connector of your, your choice. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and it's the same for like Starlink getting back to where, you know, if you play yourself into a corner and, and end up messing something up, like as a precaution, before I cut my Starlink cable to splice it the way I did for my van, I bought another cable. 
So <laughs> just in case. Yes. But but there were some efficiencies in that as well because my Starlink install, the way I mounted the router in the garage, I have thumb screws that I can undo and I can take out the router and I have an extra cable with me so I could deploy my Starlink in a cabin if I wanted to. You know, it doesn't have to be used in the van and it takes me three seconds to take all that out of the van and deploy it wherever I want to. So there was a lot of, there was, you know, additional value in having that extra cable. So I can justify the expense. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we need to uh, hire you for our next van build because we need (laughs) your brilliant mind working on all our little problems and efficiencies. And I think, honestly, I feel like this conversation was really good and we're like way over and we could keep going. But like, I feel like we need to have you back on so we can nerd out with Steven on some more uh, like, you know, intricacies of like making the van, you know, efficient and perfect and like work really well. Yes. Yeah, we can get in some details. You know, we've only scratched the surface. I'm telling you, I can go go down a rat of a hole and you're going to have to like rain me back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to have another podcast with you for sure so we can get all these details. And when you start releasing these videos, definitely let us know. We want to yeah. help the community find these videos so that way they know how to make their rigs more efficient. Um, if there's any advice that you could give to somebody that's, you know, about to get on the road, uh, what would it be? Yeah, if you're about to get on the road, um, do it with grace. You know, I know everyone that's going to be doing this has has probably built up these these grand ideas of what it's going to be like. But you you have to understand that the best way to learn to do this is through failure. Honestly, like that's that's how you're going to get better at it. You know, and to to be open to ask the dumb questions. You know, don't, don't, don't come out there with ego, you know, ask for help. Uh, don't try and do it all by yourself and never be in a rush. Allow, allow things to happen. It would probably be, uh, be my best advice. Hell yeah. I love that. That's great advice. I think that you hit it right on the money. Um, just have, don't set expectations, just let it kind of happen, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you'll have a much better time when it comes to the lifestyle and just life in general. You know, but you know, Stephen, we appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for being somebody who watches the channel all the time. And thank you for just being a friend, you know, uh, giving us an opportunity to come and meet you at your place, coming to meet us when we were building the rig. Like we're, we're so thankful to have you in our lives. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, you know, it's it's definitely, uh, it's mutual. I really enjoy uh, having you guys as friends and can't wait to meet you guys out on the road at some point. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, we'll probably be back in Florida, but hopefully you're gone. Then. <laughs> uh, you know, unfortunately, I probably will be here, but that's another story. So anyway, <laughs> I absolutely love this conversation with Steven. And when he has the information out, we're definitely going to share it with you guys. So, you know, where you could find it. And we might even be able to put it on posts on our on our YouTube channel. That way it makes it really easy. So make sure to go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe so you don't miss out on the information. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good nuggets of wisdom. And I'm sure if you wanted to nerd out with Steven, you could definitely reach out to him on Instagram. So we'll have those links down below as well. Mm-hmm. But we really enjoyed this conversation. We really like Steven as a person. And hopefully that we get to link back up with him when we're in Florida. Even though he's not going to be happy to be in Florida, he'll be happy to see us. And definitely let us know if you really really like this conversation because we will we could have a second chat with Stephen whenever you know we're we're good friends with him and I think that 
he'll be available and have the ability to jump on the show with us. I think so, we might be able to talk him into it. Yeah, yeah. So let us know in the comments. Leave a five-star review. Let us know what you think about the podcast or anything that you want us to talk about that you're interested in about van life or nomadic travel because it is what we do for a living. It's what we've been doing for the last three years. It's kind of wild to say that. Three years. Can yeah, you believe it? I know. And we're on our second rig, so we've got two van builds under our belt. And now we've got four countries, 40 states, you know, 14 states in Mexico. We're going all the way to Panama and back. So if you guys want to join in for the journey beyond the little snippets that we share here on the podcast, be sure to come and check out us on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok, wherever you get your social media fix. We would love to see you over there. And send us a DM and let us know that you like the show. And if you would love to support the channel and support what we do, you can become a Patreon if you'd like. Uh, we share a lot more information there and very much up-to-date stuff. And we also give, like, sometimes whenever we come out with, like, a new book or something like that, we either give it to you or give you a deal on it. So it's a really great opportunity to help support us and help us along with our travels as well. And I feel like that we've been helping you, so let us know if we have. Yeah, we would love to see that five-star review come in. I have a good one, but I want to share it next week because I feel like it should have gone in the beginning of the show. Ah. It was that good. So stay tuned for next week. We're going to have some awesome five-star reviews for you. And be sure to drop one wherever you listen to podcasts. And we hope that you have an FNA day. Make sure you subscribe to their YouTube channel, FNA Van Life. All that.